Marshmallow Test. You've probably heard this before. It actually was a study that began in the 1960s and 70s by Sanford University to study how childhood traits would then affect people later in life. And um, since then, since then, there have been follow-up studies that have been done more recently that have learned that other factors besides personality also affect a child, especially uh, certain financial statuses and privileges that that family, that that, that child's family um, had while the child is growing up. So other factors impact that. But the idea, though, remains the same, that delayed gratification is an essential part of our overall health. Delayed gratification actually produces great growth. And there's a difference between those who go after the prize, the marshmallow right now, and those who wait for it. And you and I will always be tempted to go for the now. We will always be tempted to go for the now instead of looking at the long game. This goes for everything in our lives. This goes for our relationships. This goes for our finances. This goes for our families. This goes for our pleasure. That those that we're always going to be tempted to go for the now. And this, this idea, though, taps into a profound aspect of the kingdom of God's kingdom, and of Advent. See, Advent and the Christmas story begin with waiting. And as kingdom people, we wait. We wait, and often with a feeling that we're in the dark. During this season of Advent, this four weeks leading up to Christmas, we wait to remember and celebrate the birthday of Jesus at Christmas, but we also wait for his second coming that he has promised that God doesn't waste the wait. He's always at work, even when we feel like we're in the dark. And, and th this season that we're in really emphasizes this spiritual value of waiting, of delaying our gratification, of being spiritually hungry, actually as a good thing. See, on one hand, Jesus already came, and he already changed the world. He changed everything. But we're still yearning for a second advent. We still operate in a world that's, that's fallen and broken. And, and you and I would admit this, and regardless of whether you're religious or not, you would say, yeah, the world is broken. But each of us has to admit that we too, we too personally, will go through our own advent season. See, like the first century Jews uh, who, who, who found themselves waiting in the dark, anticipating the coming of a Messiah, uh, just like them, we often find ourselves waiting in the dark, often for God knows what. But what if, what if waiting were actually a gift? What if waiting is a gift? Because with delayed gratification comes growth that can happen nowhere else. And we see this in a story in scripture that actually takes place later, later in the gospel of Luke. Um, it, it's a place, uh, it's a story about these two people named Simeon and Anna. And it's a story that we don't read a lot in church. We usually go through the nativity story, the coming of Jesus, the birth in the manger, and then we stop and then we move on to the rest of the story. But this is found after Jesus's birth, 
days later, at, when Jesus is presented at the temple by his parents. And we see these two people, these two characters appear in this story. And I want you to pay attention to this. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 38 today. This is also found in your worship guide if you want to follow along. And that will also be on this screen. So Luke tells us, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's mother and father marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined, destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that it will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed or illuminated. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. Second little part of the story, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel in the tribe of Asher. She was very old, Luke tells us. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them at that very moment. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So the story goes, two elderly saints, I think this is encouraging to anyone that would consider themselves in the upper age category, two elderly saints that God is still at work through. God is still at work through. Simeon and Anna, not married, not related, just happened to be tools and, and people that were used by God. And they both waited a very, very long time. So the text tells us, so Anna, Anna lived as a widow for 84 years, which she was probably betrothed really, really young. So that puts her in the upper percentile of age categories. But then it's also clear that Simeon is pretty old too. There's actually a gospel, get this, there's a book outside the Bible. It's kind of a pseudo gospel. It's not part of our Bible, but it actually gives Simeon the age of 112 112, I think it's a little bit of an exaggeration, but who knows, right? But I think the age here, though, is, is important. It's mentioned not to impress us, but to inspire us regarding growth. See, there's growth that happens only by waiting. You and I know this. Growth that happens only by waiting, a hope that can be truly forged only over the course of a lifetime. My, one of my favorite authors, pastors, theologians, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who himself was a pastor uh, during World War II. He was held in a concentration camp and actually died. He, he had a series of writings that were put together in a book called God in the Manger. I encourage you to read this. But he says this. He says, Advent means being able to wait. Advent means being able to wait. Waiting is an, is an art our impatient age has forgotten. He wrote this while in a concentration camp. 
means being able to wait. It's an art that we have forgotten. Waiting can be a gift. It can be a gift. And one of the reasons is because in our waiting, we recognize our yearning. And we see that in the scripture. But I think you and I can think about the kind of types of waiting that we experience. There's kind of two different categories, I believe. For the first kind of waiting is waiting for something we know. But like Christmas, right? If you have kids, if you have nieces, nephews, grandkids, you know, they're counting down the days. They, they have their list and they're checking it twice, you know. Uh, I had a friend that um, their son is, is an outdoorsy type, type person and his whole Christmas list is from Lowe's, basically things. He's like eight years old. And his mom's like, this is, I've never seen this before, right? But kids, like you're waiting for something in particular and you know it's coming, right? But there's this other kind of waiting for the unknown. The unknown, the, the diagnosis that's out there that could be anything. The unknown, what's, what does the future hold? What's, what's in store for me or for our family? The unknown that just looks very dark or bleak right now that you're not quite sure. And there's different emotions that really come with each of these types of waiting. But they both share something, a, a recognition, a knowing of incompleteness. See, Simeon and Anna, they'd been waiting for some sign of impending salvation. Their people had been waiting for a Messiah, for someone to come and to save them. And different people had different ideas about what that would look like. But Luke, Luke puts that they're waiting for what they were waiting for as consolation. Consolation is the word that he uses. And this echoes back from Old Testament scriptures of ancient prophetic yearnings for comfort for their people. Anna prays that Jerusalem will be redeemed. But both of them, both of them look for light. They look for light for all people, right? He mentions both for the Gentiles and for the Jews. They're, they're praying that everyone's grandchild would come into the kingdom of God. Yet, they didn't really know what they were waiting for. They saw this child. Did they fully understand what would take place in the coming days and years as Jesus would grow. They didn't really know what or who they were waiting for. They didn't know what the Messiah would turn out to be. They only knew to wait. See, sometimes I think we don't really know what we're waiting for. I don't know if you've ever been in that place, ever been there, that there's just this, this yearning, there's this longing, and you don't even know really what it's for. You lie in bed at night, and you just have this, this unsettled feeling, this, this almost longing, almost homesickness for a place or a time. And um, actually, the Germans have a great word for, for this. I'm of German heritage, proud of that. And ger the Germans, they have words for everything, you know, bratwurst, all those kinds of wonderful foods, but they have this word called Sehnsucht. Sehnsucht. I want everybody to say that with me. Sehnsucht. So you just learned Greek, a little bit of German today. We're going to have some Latin soon, so you're going to be all uh, multilingual today. Sehnsucht, which is that indescribable longing for you know not what. That thing inside you that's just never quite satisfied. You see, there is a gift that takes place when we make time to become aware of our yearnings. See, we're experts at dissatisfaction and control. 
All of us, we, we are. You know, who goes out of their way to feel pain? To say, I want a little extra pain today, right? Nobody really does that. In our society, we're, we're taught to keep pain and suffering at bay and never really yearn for anything. We're, we're told to satiate our desires right away whenever they arise. And if you don't believe me, you know, if you're hungry, what do you do? You go to the drive through right? If your car doesn't work, what do you do? Get a new one. If your phone doesn't work or took a nosedive in the toilet, you get a new one, right? If, this is a little deeper, you know, if your relationship isn't working out, what do you do? You get a new one, right? You move everything, everybody moves on. Our society teaches us that we need to fill any void of yearning with something else. To take away that discomfort, that pain, that even that sand souked, to, to try to chase marshmallows and run after what's in front of us. But we need to resist this urge. We need to resist this urge, and that's part of what Advent teaches us, because Jesus has something greater than the marshmallows of this world. And it's only when we fully get in touch with our emptiness that we can see the emptiness of our world around us. If we continue to fill our, that void with, with trying the next thing, with things of this world, in an attempt to stop the pain of this world, we'll never yearn for something better. See, our hope, our hope in Christ is proportional to our yearning. The more we yearn for God knows what, the more that we decide that we're not going to chase substitutes for that. We're not going to put a Band-Aid on the situation. The more that we do that, the larger and more profound our hope in Christ becomes. That it's a good thing to sit in the yearning. But you know what also a gift that waiting gives us is that we learn to depend on God's timing. God's timing well, uh, I guess it was about a month and a half ago, we held a fire pit Friday here at the church out front and had great turnout with lots of people and neighbors, just people eating hot dogs and all sorts of stuff. And um, there were a group of us, we were, I think, trying to do a TikTok dance at the end of it. I don't know. It got kind of got crazy and wild. And um, we were ready to clean up, and we had a bunch of you all that helped with that. And I remember, uh, I think it was Sabrina, wherever you are sitting, I'm not, not quite sure. Um, anyway, oh, there she is. Uh, we were talking at the end and getting things cleaned up, and all of a sudden it hit me that I had forgot, this was like about 8.30 or so at night, I had forgotten to feed my cat. I don't know if you have a pet, but it's very important. They look forward to feeding time. And I had forgotten also to turn the light on for him. So I was like, oh, no, I mean, he's going to be very upset. So I go home, and of course, he's sitting right there at the door looking at me with the face that only pets can do. You know this. Pets and children, they look at you. They don't have to say anything. Was that I'd left him hungry and in the dark. I had forgotten about him. I felt really, really bad. But sometimes we can feel like God does the same thing to us. Maybe you've been there before. Have you ever felt like God has forgotten you and you've been in the dark and you're hungry for God knows what? See, both of our characters in the story, they were depending on God's timing. See, they're both beyond that AARP age, of course. They had been receiving things in the mail for years at this point. Well, just kidding. But, but they've realized, they've realized that, that 
they had become come upon a time that was very, very dark in history. And so they had been waiting for a long, long period of time. And we have to recognize this, that, that they had lived during a time of both victory and defeat of their people. Their grandparents, believe this, the grandparents had lived during the, the, the Maccabean Revolution in about the 160 B.C.s when that took place, from which the Jews celebrate Hanukkah. And their grandparents had told the story of that revolution, but then both Anna and Simeon, they lived through the time when General Pompey, who led the Romans, part of the Roman Empire, invaded Jerusalem, went into the temple, and desecrated the whole thing in 63 BC. They had lived then. They knew what it was like to feel like their world was ending and that darkness was descending. And from that point on, Israel would be under Roman occupation. See, it's easy to wonder, and I'm sure they wondered, where are you, God? Where are you? Have you forgotten us? But like Moses, who had worked his entire adult life to bring people to a promised land that he would see but never enter, Simeon and Anna, Anna prayed their entire adult lives that they would see the evidence of the presence of the world's salvation. See, it's a type of salvation that is not just about life after death. As Isaiah and Jesus would define it, it's good news for the poor, Freedom for those who are in prison, sight for the blind, hope for the oppressed. That's what salvation is that they longed for, but this was God's timing, not theirs. They could not make this happen. They could not. They had to be dependent upon God's timing. See, time is not always as straightforward as it seems. I don't know if you knew this, but it's already tomorrow in the Philippines I have a friend who's a missionary over there. Last night, I got a chance to watch a bit of his preaching at a service. This was 9 p.m. our time, and it was 9 a.m. their time. See, time can also, depending on the person, move slowly or quickly. If you're a student studying for exams, you know, time sometimes ticks by very slowly, but then when that exam comes, it, boom, goes by very, very quickly. Time can, can either expand or it can contract depending on whether we have hopes or dreams or ambitions or we're waiting upon results. That all of us have experienced even a shift in time during COVID, right? Some of us, I don't even know what year it is sometimes, you know? I'm writing down, like, I have no idea what happened. Like, to me, it's like 2019 still. See, the Greeks had two words for time. Two words. One was chronos, which is what we refer to calendar and clock time, scheduled time, ordered time. But there's a second word that they use that is even more important, and that's kairos. Kairos, which means the appointed time for the purpose of God. Appointed time for the purpose of God. I like to think of it as the intersection of God in our lives, where we sense God may be trying to get our attention, where we anticipate he may be up to something, and it would be very wise for us to pay attention to that suspended time and place. God's timing. See, there's a richness when you experience that. That things come together when you, that you could not have made happen or have planned but it's in God's timing. It's the now, but not yet, that reshapes our expectations of those around us and our circumstances. And we have to wait for it. 
We have to wait for it. I've learned from my own experience that God is rarely early, but he's never late. It's God's timing. But the last piece here, the last gift that waiting offers us that we see in this story is we have to be sure that we don't miss the blessing. That we don't miss the blessing. See, Simeon's response to seeing the Christ child in verse 34, he blesses them. And Anna, in verse 38, gives, gives thanks for them. See, the word blessing, this is your little, our little Latin piece. In Latin, I'm going to really butcher this. I looked it up to make sure I pronounced it correctly. Benedicier. Benedicier. It means to speak well. Speak well, saying good things of someone. And we don't recognize this, but to give a blessing to someone is probably the most significant affirmation that we can offer. It's more than complimenting. It's affirming someone's belovedness by the creator when we bless someone. The blessings that we receive from others, they're expressions of that which rests on us from all eternity they also create the reality for which they speak. And that's what Simeon is doing here. He's speaking this blessing over Jesus as an expression of what would come to fruition. There's a great book um, by Henry Nouwen, one of his famous ones that I've read. He was a, um, a priest, and he actually went to serve in a, um, a special home or facility for people who had different dif- disabilities in his ministry. And he would wash for them. He would take care of them. And there's a story that he shares of being asked for a blessing by this, this lady he names Janet. And Janet was a person with a handicap. And Janet said, can you give me a blessing? And he says, well, he honestly didn't know what she meant by that. So he went up and he put his hand on her forehead and did the sign of the cross. And she grabbed his hand and said, not that. And he looked at her. He's like, well, what do you want? He said, I want a real blessing. That didn't work. And he knew in his heart he was going through the motions with that. And so he said to her, well, how about when we have our little prayer gathering, our little prayer service as a part of this, I'll give you a blessing then. And he gave him time to figure out what would happen in that. And so later, Janet shows up. There are about 30 people or so, people sitting on the floor, gathered for this little prayer event. And at some point in the service, he said, well, um, our friend Janet here has asked for a blessing, and he asked her to come forward. He still didn't know what to expect, but she did. She came up. She gave him a big hug and held him. And he, at that point, knew what it was that he needed to say. And he said this. He said, you, Janet, are God's beloved daughter. You are deeply loved by him. You are loved by this community. You were created for a purpose and on purpose Go in peace. And a big smile came on her face. She hugged him even tighter, he said, to the point he could not breathe at that point. And then she sat down. And he was about to continue the service when another young lady stood up, Jane, and said, I want a blessing. And then this continued for the entire prayer time, including, which he points out, one of his assistants, 24 years old, who was figuring out what to do with his life, came forward to receive a blessing. See, for you and I, the sense of being cursed often comes more easily than being blessed. A sense of being cursed. That's what Nowen tells us. And we can come up with so many arguments to feed that idea of that curse. 
to say we are cursed, we are done for, we're no good. And different voices will feed into that. We can begin to believe those words. How now one characterizes us as moody people. We're moody. We feel great one moment, then we're terrible. Then life goes great, and then I'm blessed, and then it's terrible, and again, I don't find this, and they hate me, and then, oh my gosh, what a wonderful place. He said we can begin to look at the world with passive resignation, but we need to notice and reflect to others, just like Anna did, that affirmation of a God who will never leave us alone, a blessing that includes us, but also extends beyond us. So how do we claim that blessing? How do we understand that and not miss it? How do Simeon and Anna Anna do it? How do they recognize salvation in its infancy? They do it through prayer and presence. Prayer and presence. See, sometimes for us to pray is, is a very difficult thing to do. It's like, well, what do I say? Well, I usually tell people, be honest with God. God already knows what's in your heart. Talk to him. Just have a conversation. Sit, sit in silence. How often do we do that? Sit in silence. Befriend silence and solitude. And there's times I've done this. It's a discipline because it's really hard to do. It's to sit there for a while. And even if you do that over the course of weeks, it can feel like nothing is happening. But I guarantee you it is. There is something happening. Something that you are not even conscious of. It's the blessing that seeps into your soul but also our presence, that we are attentive to the blessings that come day after day right by our noses. It changes you. Notice that you are being blessed, to see it, to receive it, and to offer it. See, even in the dark, Simeon shows us we can walk in the blessing. We can bear the blessing, and we can continue to hear the deep and gentle voice that blesses us. So what does this have to say to us today? Well, I think it's that God is working in the waiting. Maybe you just needed to hear that today. Maybe the rest of this is all a blur. God's working in the waiting. He's working in the waiting because waiting can be a gift. A gift that grows us and shapes us like no other place. Our part is to resist the marshmallow. To become part of his story to join in his hope, because, John tells us, the light shines while waiting in the dark, but the darkness has not overcome it. And as we go to the table today, I just want to take a moment to pause for us to sit in this space for whatever it is that you're waiting for, and just to come to Jesus is to close your eyes, to be fully present, to feel your toes and your shoes, your fingers at your sides, the breath in your lungs, to know that he is God. And to confess in our hearts all the ways that we've messed up. We are messed up, Lord. Lord, we just come to you today. And we sit in this moment. We confess. But then, Lord, we hear the words. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. Let that penetrate your heart. 
to know that that sin is washed away, if you receive that, if you receive that into your heart, to accept that, you are forgiven. And this table that we celebrate together is a reminder to us of Jesus' presence in our lives.